Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, here we come to the Sunday before Christmas. And for those of you that haven't gotten the newsletter, there will be Christmas Eve. Uh, at, you can tune in here. Tune in just a little bit early, but at uh, 5 o'clock, this, the central time, this, um, this Saturday. And then usual time for Christmas Day worship. And it will be there for you. And we're, I'm just very grateful to our team that works so hard that they can put all this together every single Sunday, and especially during times of, of the holiday when so many other things are going on. So thanks to them. A couple of news items. Uh, several of you have asked me here, and Miss Cammie just pulled a muscle in her back. This happens. Um, you can sometimes, the air can create pressure. You know, and you get to a certain age, and that's, that's ours. But that means my mom's not here either, but that's all right. From what I'm understanding, talking with her, that's not true. What I understand listening to her, there's, there's no, I, we may, I may have words, but I've not used them yet. Um, she's bubbling over with the love that she has been shown where she lives and from many of you and the way you popped in to say hi. So uh, she said, you just tell them I'm fine and it's cold anyway. I said, okay, I will do that. I also want to um, say a special thank you. I got to go this week and visit with Max Ray. Max, I know you're watching there on top of that hill in Tompkinsville, Kentucky. Just a wonderful man of God. <clears throat> he is writing a lot on Facebook, so you can friend him there, Max Ray. But um, don't friend him if you're going to argue because we don't do that. But he's the freedom in Christ that he saw and was beginning to speak made him not welcome in some churches. And he said he found his home with us. And we sat and talked for quite a while and planned to come back. And there are many others like this. Greg England out in California. I could just go on and on. But it's, um, we're, we're grateful for you. One last thing before we go into the sermon. I'm aware that many of you are torn right now. Because you, um, the the World Cup is on, uh, the um, and it'll be around in four years. But some of you can't wait. Got that? I understand. I do. So to help you not miss it too much, if Evu um, gets within two feet of me, I promise to grab my head and my leg theatrically and fall to the ground and scream as if I have been killed. <clears throat> because that seems to be the major thing one does. Anyway, moving on. Oh, Holy Night. It's a staple song for choirs and for amazing singers, but it's not for non-professionals, is it? It is, it's a struggle. It's rather like the American National Anthem. It was like, what, what were you thinking? When you trace the history of the American National Anthem, at least you find out it was originally a British bar song. So then that makes sense. You know, that tune, it's impossible. Now we understand you had to be chemically altered to sing that tune. 
But Oh Holy Night is such an amazing song. And it's been covered by amazing singers. I, I took a look and there are actually hundreds of recordings. But it's everybody from Martina McBride to Josh Groban, Celine Dion, Mariah Carey, the cast of Glee, whatever that is. Um, I know some, some of you watch a lot of television and I, I, I can't because I've got it's, um, a life. But anyway, uh, the, a lot of this stuff. The, the words were inspired by a French poem and it was attached to the tune we know well and translated into English in 1855 on purpose for a reason. And we will talk about that reason pretty soon. It's a very important date. And a very important reason. The song is a tour de force, frankly, both melodically, linguistically, but also theologically. There's a lot of weight in this song. So we start, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Stage is set. But then here comes a, a, a phrase. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. If I could only give one message to people, it would be you are worth so much more than you are selling yourself for. You are worth so much. And I know the world says that you're not. I, it'll, it'll set you up. And here's what a woman should look like. And here's what a man should look like. And here's what a, a, a progressive should look like. And here's what a conservative should look like. And here's the kind of money you should have. And here's the kind of gifts that you should give each other. And they make you feel inadequate because if they can keep you off balance and keep you in fear and keep you hunting for adequacy, they control you. But God didn't do that. God came down and by his very appearance gave your soul its true worth, its weightiness. Too many of us exchange our desire for community for food or our desire to be loved with sex or our desire with meaning to grab some will-o'-wisp political movement. But we need to know how valuable we are. We, we try to fill up that hole in our heart by money, talent, beauty, sex, likes on social media, joining the right crowd and more. But the only thing about that is tragedy. Because we, we are worth God coming across the universe and bringing himself into the form of a baby so he could live among us. That's what you're worth. And you may not feel that way, but you know, that's fine because your feeling does not change the fact that God says you're worth this much. There are, there are couples, I am told, <clears throat> who after they've been married for a while, maybe even quite a while, one of them will even look and say, why did you marry me? I would suggest that those are not good questions to ask. Um, lawyers will tell you, never ask a question that you don't know the answer to. And I have the feeling you're going to be surprised when that one comes around. And you don't want them to start wondering, well, why did I marry that person? So let's not broach that discussion at all. We, um, 
We can look at God and say, why did you do that? And never really get it. But God gets it. And that's really all that matters. God gets it. The only thing more tragic than you devaluing your soul is when Christians devalue your soul. Because you don't fit in. Or because your religion's not theirs. Or because of whatever. But friends, we're not in the world to judge it. We are in the world to spread the good news by word and deed. And if you and I are very honest, many of the churches we've been to are well-meaning and filled with good people. But the message that is taught is not good news. It is, you might possibly be saved, but here's a standard. And everybody's got a different standard. I don't know if you know this or not, but the only meter is in France. It's in, a, um, it's in a, a standards of weights and measurements facility to where if you want to make a, a meter long stick or a yardstick in, in America, and what is it, Burundi? I think there are two countries that, that still use standard. Um, if you want to use a yardstick or a meter, it has to be that long. That's the standard. Back in the old days, I'm told that you know, a cubit was from here, your, your elbow up to the top of your finger. And I'm thinking, well, that's not handy. If you don't have that guy, we have been measuring things by the wrong standard for too long. People are valuable because God says they are, and it's worth to him a trip across the universe from well beyond the borders of human imagination to a tiny end in Bethlehem. And if God judges that to be true, who are we to argue the first verse continues, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. This verse really has a lot to do with the reading that uh, Sean gave us today out of Romans chapter 8. And Paul really develops this argument in Romans chapter 8. We normally focus at the first part of the chapter because it is super thrilling and super wonderful good news. But then he develops the reason for the good news. And we tend not to read that part because Paul can be confusing. And Paul at times gets so excited, he forgets entirely about the need to eventually end the sentence. He has sentences that go over 90 words. That's impressive. And I would state probably unnecessary. But when he got on a roll, he got on a roll the whole world lies weary and pining. And then Jesus comes and breaks a new and glorious morn. He uses childbirth for this. It'll be a shock to no one in the room that I have very little experience with childbirth except as an observer. Uh, that's the way my genetic um, dice were thrown. So... I have to rely upon what I have been told by women. And I'm aware that there are billions of ways to experience childbirth. And everybody is a unique individual. But I've been shocked at how many women talk about the pain. And how horrible the pain is. And here's the thing. And how quickly they forget it. When they see the baby. Now, I have to take their word for it. Because I will never experience this. But I see it in the book of Romans, Paul talks about the pain of the world can be forgotten when we look at the child, the Lord, our God. 
Regardless, at this realization of God's love among us in a, in a real, tangible way, the rest of the verse says, fall on your knees, oh, hear the angel voices. And I would just like to remind us one more time that the gospel is supposed to be good news. An evangelist meant a person who went from place to place giving good news. But everybody, everybody that I, I think within listening here um, can understand why if somebody were to say, here's Patrick, he's our evangelist. In many places, and especially in the States or Western Europe, there'd be a little tightening, a little nervousness in the room. Because evangelists have gotten this, well, when you think of evangelists, what do you think of? You think of somebody going around and basically you know, yelling at you in tent meetings back in the Elmer Gantry days in America, but all the way up through. What is it about our religion that we have sold ourselves not understanding the weight and the worth of our souls and traded the good news for a set of regulations when that is not what God brought? May I suggest all of us that you may feel like you're evangelical, um, but right now, if you look up the definition of evangelical, good news isn't part of the definition. It's about you believe this, you believe this, you believe this, you believe this. And that concerns me quite a bit, frankly. People ask me if I am or not. And I'll say, you know, people have called me that. And there are others who say I'm absolutely not. But I'm not here to measure those things. I'm not a meter in France. I'm Patrick. And my Savior is Jesus. That's it. I don't need another title. I also don't need this. And could I ask us New Year's resolution? If you're, if you're one of those who do those things. And if you're not, do it now. Here it is. Stop the end of the world fantasies. Stop playing conspiracy theorist with God in the book of Revelation. Instead, love one another. Do that. I'm not concerned about the end of the world at all. I was asked again this week by somebody... What do you think about the end of the world? I said, I, I don't uh, at all. I think about the end of me from time to time. Wonder how that, you know, I had a birthday this week. So, you know, once again, one more step up into God's waiting room. The departure lounge is waiting. And, and, and you, that I think about, but the end of the world, no. Why? Because I'm not in charge of it. God never told me to worry about it. He told me to love God and love one another. Can we stop with the fantasies and get on with the love? The next verse is also lovely. Led by the light of faith, serenely beaming, with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. Here come the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus lowly manger, and all our trials born to be our friend. The theology in this is deep and perfect. The history, no. the three kings of Orient are, I love that song, except we do have to bring up. There were no kings. They didn't come from the Orient. And there weren't three of them. But other than that, <laughs> it's a perfect song. Um, the, um, the wise men, they, people say three and they even named them. Uh, but wise men would have traveled in a huge group, enough to where they had to check in at the king's palace to pass through. They would have had to, ha they had gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which aren't traditional baby presents, but they were actually very, very valuable for the people of the day. Uh, those were valuable to the point where they would have had armed guards, they would have had a caravan that came across. All right, so there were a, a group of them. 
they weren't kings, they were magi, which means they were astrologers and magicians. Doesn't really fit in well, you know, with, with some of our stories, but go ahead. And they didn't come on the night of his birth. The scripture says that they came to the house where he was born. And that when they told Herod how long they'd been moving, Herod said two years and under. Look for that age. But if you've got them in your nativity set, don't take them out. It took them a long way to get there. Just leave them. Leave them there. It's fine. But the theology is in that last phrase. In all our trials, born to be our friend. Wow. That's why he came. That's why the message wasn't to the shepherds, even though they were sore afraid. It, 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 was, it wasn't, uh, the message wasn't, all right, you're in trouble now. God's back. It was peace. It's all right. I have goodwill toward men. That should give you chills and shudders. Born to be our friend. By the way, the reason we still do the wise men and the three kings and such, there were other gospels written that were in use, even though the churches had said, no, don't use them. They kept being used all the way up into the 1500s. And they're the ones where we get all the stories of talking animals and, and the like. And you can read a book by Philip Jen and Jenkins. Um, you just look him up on Amazon. He's written a lot uh, about the, the lost gospels. And they're not lost. We know where they are. But it's just they were written late and they had all these new stories. Because why? Because we don't know much about Jesus growing up, do we? And so what do you do? You fill in the gaps. You make stories. Um, here's a king who is also our friend. And who will go through trials with us. All, with all, in all our trials, born to be our friend. But note that the song, again, very theologically correct... Nowhere in here does it say that Jesus has come to save you from the trials. Because he hasn't. He has come to go through them with you. Your teachers, uh, if you're going to school, let's say high school, middle school, or the like, are, are not there to make algebra easy. They're there to help you get it. They're not there to make Latin easy. They're there to help you through it. It's going to be a struggle. It was for them. Jesus is not here to remove the trials. He's here to be with you through the trials. And that seems like a callback to me. Uh, for, for your Christmas this last week devotions, I'm a real big fan of reading the Christmas story, obviously. You also might want to read John chapters 14, 15, and 16, because there Jesus is saying, I'll be away, but I promise to be with you through the comforter. I, the paraclete is uh, the, the Greek word, which means somebody who walks along with you and shares the burden. That's who he said he would be. And by the way, while you're looking, grab a public domain copy of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I've read a ton of Dickens, and it's awful and depressing and dark, although usually resolves positively. Except the Christmas Carol is hilarious. It is laugh out loud funny. And you don't believe that because you've read the other stuff of him. I don't, he was in a good mood. 
But, and it's not that long. So you know, grab a hold of that and read it. You must be reading it. I know there's a lot of nods over here. Well done. You see, that's why you're my favorites. You get to sit on the front row. You could too. You could too. But you'd have to come here. And you're not knocking them off. We'll get you another front row. And moving on. Then comes the third verse. And that's why 1855 matters. A verse that was intentionally put there to cause tensions and uproars in America because America needed to be startled and faced with what it had been doing. By this time, tensions over slavery in the United States had already reached the point where people were being shot down in the streets over this, where the Kansas territory was inflamed and so was Missouri and other places there were knife fights and rocks being thrown. Businesses burned in 1855 between those who wanted to abolish all slavery, the abolitionists, and those who wanted to hold to slavery. Just one year before this song was published, 1854, Representative Preston Brooks of South Carolina entered the Senate chamber and beat Senator Charles Sumner of Massachusetts with his cane, nearly to death. Sumner had to be carried to a hospital where he suffered for months. While he lived, he bore scars the rest of his life. That was in the American Senate. That's what 1854 and 1855 were like. And so war drums are already sounding across the nation and oh, holy night took a side. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. And in response, sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. And I'm just, I'm just amazed. This song was sent and made and written and put into the public so that we would be confronted with that. Chains will he break for the slave is our brother. Very quickly, uh, those of you who are on Facebook and you know who you are, I'm on there as well. Got it. Ever so often, somebody will post something about this verse and say, here's the verse they don't want you to sing. American churches have hit. What? I grew up hearing this. Don't fall for that. I saw one here recently where here are these Vietnam soldiers, you know, and who, I, who among you, you know, are, are, are going to be brave enough to repost this on your page and say that you supported them. And it's not Vietnam soldiers. It's actors in a movie, which is perhaps inarguably very racist, but supposed to be a comedy called Tropic Thunder. And people are going, oh, I support our troops. You don't, Jesus doesn't need you to share the picture of him crying. Don't fall for it. Just don't fall for these things. We sing this song, but I don't think we realize that there were fist fights that broke out when you sang this song. There were families that split. Solid theology, though, right from the short book of Philemon. 
where Paul declares that slaves are our brothers and are to be treated with grace as if they were members of our own family, no less. I've had many people in my life say, but why didn't God say just free the slaves? Well, God never set up a government on earth for one. But when Paul was writing Philemon, for example, it was against Roman law to free a slave. If you freed a slave, you were subject to the death penalty if you were not a Roman citizen. If you're a Roman citizen, you were subject to land confiscation and the loss of citizenship. So Paul couldn't just say, turn them all loose. What he could say is, put your arms around them and call them brother and sister. Because that's who they are now. Treat them as family. In your home. What a song. Both anti-slavery, by the way, and pro-slavery churches, and yes, there were churches, claimed that God was on their side. I've been reading the incredibly detailed book for cause and country about the Civil War battles for Spring Hill and Franklin. And it is just almost unbearable, the amount of pain and slaughter there, and both sides praying before, both sides getting blessed before, you can talk about all the different causes of the war. I'm not interested. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not. What I'm trying to bring up here is we need to quit baptizing our desire for vengeance and blood. We need to quit bringing Jesus in to claim that he's on our side when we hurt somebody else. Because he isn't. That's not why he came. So really, very quickly here. I'm going to take a look at another uh, very, very popular one. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And that's, by the way, uh, in a subjunctive tense, which means that's the way it should be, but it's not there yet. We don't normally use subjunctive in the English. And then we do, we hide it, but that's what it is. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Well, the true king of earth is Christ and Christ alone. We seek no other king. We believe in no other king. We are asking for no king out of London or out of uh, Washington, D.C. or out of any capital city. We have a king and we need to act as if we have a king. And then it says, let every heart prepare him room. Now that's probably a dig at the, the innkeeper. There was no room in the inn. The fact is, and it is way too long of an explanation to do here. If you dig and if you talk to historians, they can send you a paper that's going to be about eight to ten pages long explaining the words used for manger, stables, and inn. And it wasn't as if the innkeeper goes, I don't care if she's pregnant, get it in the barn. It's not it. In fact, there probably, there was no room in the inn, and the word inn there refers to a guest room. Well, people were already in the guest room. Birth is a community event for them. The women of the village are going to be gathering. There's not enough room in there. They were probably housed in a very nice place, but there was no place to lay the baby except the manger. And you're going, well, then that's the barn until very recently. And in many places in the world today, the animals live with you in your house. Uh, they are, maybe you live on second floor and they're beneath but you leave them outside, they get stolen, they get diseased, they get froze, frozen in the, the cold, they, they wander off, you keep them there. You bring them in. And the heat from the animals and their exhaust um, helps. 
And if you didn't, don't have two stories, very, very, very frequently, you had two rooms. One room for the family, and one room for the animals. And if you're rich and posh, you might have a door. So it's not as if they were being thrown into the cold. And if you read the, the gospel account very carefully, it doesn't indicate that she just showed up having birth pains. It says that they went to Bethlehem, and when the time's time for her to come, and she started having the birth pain. So I guess I'm saying all that to say, get off the innkeeper's back. They probably did everything they possibly could do, but what about us? You see, when you're pointing at people, you don't look at yourself. So you got to stop that. Let every heart prepare him room. Our daily struggle is to have Christ as king. Our daily struggle is to make room for Christ in every exchange with one another. With every dollar we spend. Let him be king over every word we utter or type. Make room for Jesus. If, if only Christmas commercials and corporations would make room for Jesus. I once was naive, and I probably still am about some things, but we came to America, and uh, there was going to be a Mickey's Easter parade, and because I had a daughter that was, I don't know, four or five at the time, you know, she worshipped at the altar of the Big Mouse, and so it was going to be fun. We're, we're going to turn it on and watch it. And I was appalled because Jesus is never mentioned. Religion's never mentioned. Faith is never mentioned. There's no cross. There's nothing. It's just a parade celebrating Disneyland and Disney World. And that was appalling to me. I, I was thinking, why don't you call it a Disney parade instead of an Easter parade? The word Easter means something. Since then, I've made myself watch their Christmas parades uh, a couple times as well. No mention of the Jesus. No mention of angels. No. But should that have surprised me? Uh, maybe not. But it did. And it still bothers me when I see Jesus routinely missing. Here's a Christmas gift. Well, it's either, if it's a Christmas gift, Jesus needs to be involved. Make room for Jesus in that. Or it's a December gift. You know, there are some schools which are afraid of offending those that are not Christian. And so they call it a winter holiday or the like. And there are some Christians that get really angry. And I'm just going, they're just being honest. Because they're doing a winter holiday. And there's no Jesus in it. I'm not offended. I can remember a few years back whenever Target was moving the um, Salvation Army bell ringers away from the front door for some reason. And evangelicals just went nuts. And I'm going, Really? How dare you remove my opportunity to give to a church I don't go to? I, I didn't quite understand why they were upset. Because you can find the Salvation Bell, Army bell ringers. Go give it. Go, if you, you don't have to shop at Target. You don't want to. But why walk around angry? Make room for Jesus. You know, make room for Jesus. In Philippians 2 verses 9 and 10. Jesus could have held on to all of his glory. But he gave his glory away back to God to receive, be received again and stepped into our life. So the next verse, no more let sin and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. 
Paul talks about this. He talks about bitterness. He said, you've allowed a root of bitterness to build a stronghold. Now, we don't really get all of that because we don't speak Middle East circle one, year one. But it comes to this. Paul is saying, you have given the devil part of your brain. You've given him part of your heart. You have given the devil permission and real estate. When you hold on to bitterness and he's going to build a castle on it. And you can say, all right, devil, you have to leave. But he doesn't have to because you gave him permission to be there. And so the song says, don't let him grow. Don't let this infest the ground. We, have a, we had one of our elders back when I worked in Michigan, Bill Anderson. Bill, if you're watching, I'll never forget what you showed us one day. He walked in holding a weed that had to be three feet tall with a big thick stalk. That was unusual. We don't normally see elders come in with that. And he, he called the staff together and he said, I just want to show this to you because I want to show it to my Bible class. This was right by the door. One of the main doors to come in. He said, this grew there and it didn't grow overnight. And he wasn't getting, don't, he wasn't criticizing. He was saying, I think this is the way the devil works. Bit by bit, we don't see the weeds and we let them grow. And then when we do see it, we say, oh, well, how did that get there? Just a little bit at a time. And he talked to us about, well, do not let sins and sorrows grow. That's our job to care for others. Or thorns infest the ground. That's our job to clear the way. Then that line, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Churches, Christians, parents, kids, there are curses in the Bible. Jesus came to remove them, not to underline them. He came to remove them. As far as the curse is found, let the blessings of Jesus be sent. We are not enforcers of a curse. We are those who bring freedom, grace, and righteousness with us because we bring Jesus with us. And of course, verse 3. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nation prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Ivu, if I could have you ease up. I'm going to ask you to consider letting this be your day star for this new year. Your goal, your, your new year's resolution. <clears throat> you are every day to prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. That's your job. That's day one. Job one, put it on your doorpost and on the lintels, as, it, as the, the old way would go. Um, it's important that you remember that we have a job to do. We have good news to tell. So, make it your job every day this, this year to spread the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love.